Welcome to the Noble Eight Podcast, Ape Reality. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this evening a question posed by Bruce Damer. What is biota.org? This is a question that he's asked me with regards to, I think, a radio presentation that he's going to be giving on biota.org in the near future, but also a seminar I think he's also going to give on biota.org. And he wanted me to convey my thinking on biota.org, which I promised to do with him in a telephone call, but I thought this was also such an important topic I wanted to record a podcast on my vision with regards to biota.org and also discuss some of the previous history of biota.org and my thinking with regards to artificial life from particularly a hobbyist perspective and also really some background in my own thinking and how one moves forward ideas from a situation as I see them being currently with regards to the communication of artificial life with a broader community and also creating a community of artificial life developers that is internally supportive and also enables new people that are interested in developing artificial life projects or contributing to artificial life projects to work out how their time could be spent with existing projects. So there are all these things that are coming together, all these ideas that are coming together in biota.org and I wanted to set them out in podcast form. I haven't had a lot to do with biota.org up until about two years ago. I've certainly been a fan of the site. I was a fan of the early conferences and had quite a bit of communication with Bruce Damer and other people that contributed to the conferences relating to the conferences themselves. But it wasn't until the Darwin at Home project was launched by Bruce a couple of years ago that I got involved formally with biota.org as, as the site's editor. Now you may be a little confused because Gerald G. Young obviously has a successful podcast. Darwin at Home, he has a project Darwin at home, but there was a period of time when Gerald communicated with Bruce that Darwin at home actually was more like what is now called Biota at home, in terms of what Bruce was doing and talking about various ideas. And the history of Darwin at home, Biota at home, initially was relatively intertwined, although Gerald has produced a, a unique project, which he obviously had ideas on prior to the kind of intermingling with regards to the biota.org site. So that defines my interaction, or my starting point with the interaction with regards to biota.org. But obviously, I've been an artificial life hobbyist for about 10 years prior to becoming the editor of biota.org. And over that period of time, I watched biota.org start very exciting, start with a big bang with a set of big name conferences, and then go relatively quiet. And I think what fascinates me now, particularly doing the biota.org interviews, is to get the impression of other artificial life developers and other artificial life theorists at the time period where biota.org stopped being about the conferences through to the present day. This kind of uncharted area of artificial life history. And I find when I say things like that I always have to give some kind of justification and I've talked in previous podcasts about the Wikipedia entry with regards to artificial life. But I think that's critical because that's really what I'm talking about with regards to what biota.org is supposed to be moving against in some regard or at least giving explanations which explain the gaps in things like the Wikipedia entry on artificial life. So I've given some background to the history of biota.org in previous podcasts and I'm sure many of you if not all the listeners to this podcast are also subscribed to biota.org interviews so they've heard Bruce Damer talk directly about the history of biota.org but I think as an independent artificial life hobbyist I have a particular set of experiences which aren't unique and this is something I found fascinating particularly when I first started communicating with Dave Kerr five years ago now perhaps and I got a sense of kindred spirits in our experiences in terms of the kind of books that we read kind of ideas that we were developing and how we ended up developing artificial life and to a certain extent almost everyone I've talked with in the biota.org interviews who are active artificial life developers have had similar experiences
experiences. And what strikes me as strange is when you have an organization like, for example, IEEE or SIGGRAPH or the International Game Developers Association, or all the kind of professional organizations that I've had some contact with, they all have similarities in terms of how they represent the community, which typically is paying them money. And I think the difference in Biota.org is that it's a solely self-funded, self-organizing enterprise in some regard, which is why it's particularly useful that it is also describing a group that is developing artificial life. So if we use this model, the issues that come through the development of artificial life are primarily development in isolation. And this is something which is meted out in, I think, most, if not all, of the Biota.org interviews. Even of the academics that have developed artificial life, they've gone through transitory periods where they move between academic institutions and the projects really are unified around one or a small group of people, typically one or two, but almost always just a single person. And the need of a community, the need of an ability to communicate and collaborate and bounce ideas off, but also respect one another in a kind of communicative sense, has really been lacking in the hobbyist artificial life development. On the academic side, and I'm not saying that it's academics versus hobbyists, because some of the best hobbyist artificial life developers are actually academics, but in the kind of formalised academic school of artificial life, the issues with regards to communicating the history of artificial life and also the interface between hobbyist artificial life developers and the academic artificial life circle has always been problematic. And I think now formally joining the International Society of Artificial Life and I'll be interviewing Mark Boudot in the very near future with regards to the society and also the MIT Press publication the Artificial Life Journal. It makes me think in some regard in contrast but also that we have shared goals in biota.org with regards to communicating artificial life to a broader community but also actually creating a community as well. What I find fascinating looking at the podcast numbers is that we are fundamentally and I say we because Gerald Jung is also doing Artificial Life podcasts. And to a lesser extent, Rudy Rucker is also doing Artificial Life related podcasts. But we are communicating to the same people. And I find it frustrating in some regard, but also very enlightening to see the kind of people that are subscribing to podcasts and get a sense of the kind of people that are listening to these kind of podcasts. Biota.org, Darwin at Home, and Ape Reality. And really we have a community which isn't moving far beyond its bounds in terms of its methods of communication. And what I've tried to do with Biota.org is actually change that. So there are two components that I see most directly. The first is a community of artificial life developers in terms of strengthening communication, getting collaboration, bouncing around ideas, and also giving a sense that there is actually a community. It's not just a random set of links that are in a website. It's active discussion. It's groups of people that communicate via email, touch base, record podcasts, create websites, have projects, and are moving in some kind of dynamic way way, but also have a shared identity. And it's also actively communicating that to the outside world, getting a sense that no artificial life is not dead. It's a group of developers, maybe 20, maybe 50, maybe 80, maybe 100, who are actively doing developments. And these developments come in many different directions. They take on many different forms. They are exploring many different aspects of life, both real and imaginary. And the 
these things come together in this kind of broad, fuzzy classification that is artificial life. What interests me in the future is how to turn biota.org into something which is actively communicating to a broader community these issues of artificial life. What I found doing biota.org interviews and redesigning the site and putting more active links in and making sure all the links that are up are active and also getting out and interviewing people and getting them back to the site because I mean the beauty of biota.org interviews is it's not just collecting a group that's already in active communication it's reaching out to others people like Ken Stanley for example people like Dr Zachary Moore and saying to them there is this thing called biota.org which is in its development stages currently but aims to get together a collective of artificial life developers that are producing active projects and means that if you have eyes that are interested in computational evolution, if you have eyes that are interested in dynamic game development, if you have eyes that are interested in a wide variety of things, biota.org might be a good site for you to stop by. Moving from something which is passive in communication to something which is very active, quite proactive in terms of getting eyes on developments, communicating with publications, popular publications, and getting a constant flux of press releases and information out into the broader community. It's something I'd like to see with biota.org in the medium term. I also think, as an artificial life developer who has interacted with large companies that use Noble Ape, in my case, for their own developments and use it quite actively and productively, I'd like to see relationships recultivated. Biota.org, when it first came out, was very good at cultivating relationships with large computer manufacturers and smaller enterprises associated with things that had some connection to artificial life. And this has been lost. This has been lost basically in the dot-com speculative technology crash. But that doesn't mean that individual artificial life developers have not maintained connections with these companies, have not shown artificial life to be productive and useful in developing high-end processes and real-time graphics technologies and all these kind of amazing things that artificial life game explores in its development. And artificial life developers obviously explore as the <coughs> doers of the development. So I see biota.org at a point of flux currently. Really my interest does not come with the previous history of biota.org, although I think it's fascinating. I think the number of thinkers who had some connection with biota through the conference series in particular is phenomenal. But unless that energy is still active and still current and still developing artificial life, it's not really going to be moving biota.org forward. So really we need to look at what exists currently in terms of the people that have been interviewed for the recent interviews, in terms of the people that are actively developing artificial life, and in terms of the fact that when people come to the site as they do, when they email me and say I'm interested in this, 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 this who can I recommend? And then I'll CC Gerald Jung, I'll CC Dave Kerr, I'll CC John Klein, I'll CC people that are doing developments that touch on these things. So I'm in a very privileged position and I wanted to talk a little bit about my own personal view on these things because aside from all this kind of wonder speak, I do operate as a as an individual. It's not an elected position. There is no bureaucracy at biota.org and really this is a difficult thing because obviously there are disagreements, there are views, there are people that have particular perspectives, there are obviously, if you listen to these podcasts, you know there are people that rub me the wrong way, there are people that rub me the right way. 
and I need to keep a centric view in terms of what I'm doing with the site. I'm in a very privileged position. I've worked with artificial life development for more than 10 years now. Over that period of time I've met a lot of people. I haven't however met a lot of fellow artificial life developers and I think that's the thing that's been missing basically. I communicate with a lot of people actively on the site and I do get gauge a sense that there are a number of things that are needed currently in hobbyist artificial life development. The first is a resolution of the issues with regards to academia. Either it's formal or it's informal, but there is a great lacking of contemporary artificial life development texts referring to hobbyist artificial life development. And here I'm referring to the half a dozen names that I throw into the podcast in terms of hobbyist artificial life developers. But also, I think the academic community, the artificial life academic community, is starved of things that could become collaborative epi centres. And what concerns me is that there are a whole series of issues in academic artificial life. The ethics of artificial life has become a kind of punching bag in these podcasts. But there are a series of things which, if the academic energy and effort was focused onto existing hobbyist projects, talking about existing hobbyist projects, and actually trying to put academic rigour into these projects, it would be a very different environment. I'm surveying, to some extent, Gerald de Jong's Darwin at Home mailing list. And what strikes me particularly is the number of academics and the kind of academic interaction that he is getting and also his own reservations with regards to his own personal development in academia. But I think what is fascinating is the potential for academics to take components. Certainly the cognitive simulation in Noble Ape has sparked academic interest historically and I've dealt with academics with regards to that. The visualisation, again, historically some interest. But really taking projects which are only hobbyist projects because the people aren't formally employed at universities and oftentimes because they've decided to take particular interests which straddle a number of academic disciplines, which makes it more difficult to be classified and kind of put in an academic pigeonhole. Really, the issues in terms of academia being receptive to hobbyist artificial life development, I feel land smack bang in the middle of biota.org. My personal feeling is that biota.org should fundamentally cater to artificial life hobbyists. Now, academics can be artificial life hobbyists as well. The main criteria of artificial life hobbyists is that they have a particular passion and an energy and an excitement which comes from them developing this thing, this artificial life project that they are developing in a particular way. I don't want it to appear too ethereal in terms of what is an artificial life hobbyist, but it is one of these things where I know immediately in correspondence whether I'm communicating with someone who is a passionate hobbyist or someone who has some precursory interest or is looking to invest a little bit of time into projects. So my own view is that more needs to be done and as you may have heard through the podcast, I with some things I have a relatively short and I do feel that I need to meter myself a bit with regards to how I use my own energies in biota.org. But I do feel that there is a neglected group that continues on their development much to their own strength that can get a little bit of additional publicity, a little bit of additional interest and communicate out to the broader population what they are doing. And I think biota.org needs to strengthen, encourage and assist with that. So let's talk a little bit about the future for biota.org. There are a number of possible directions that biota.org could take. But in the near term I want to continue the Biota.org interviews series. I think they're very powerful. But there needs to be a redesign of the site that addresses two possible users to the site. The first is someone who is interested in committing a certain amount of time to an artificial life project and is interested in seeing what the state of artificial life is. What projects are available, what interests they have that can feed back into the projects. I, I think of the 3D graphics engine library that was online on a German site through the late 90s. I know there's a contemporary version of it available currently.
recently as well. But that provided a checklist of open source and even some commercial graphics engines that were available at the time and gave people the ability to think, well, I want planar, you know, 3D binary space partition interaction, so this is what I want. I want a similar thing with biota.org to go through the current projects and give some background, obviously, but also just identify what kinds of things are available, almost like a uh, SourceForge interface. That's the first group. This is what I would call normally an expert or advanced set of artificial life users that are coming basically with some degree of knowledge that they want to contribute. And the second is just the broader community, and this is by far the most difficult group to convey information to in a productive way, and this is really the way I see the site failing currently. People come to biota.org, and the aims of biota.org as described are really historical aims, and these come from Bruce's history with the site, and also the history of the original biota.org. So, the contemporary site isn't really like that, but my own views with regards to biota.org are actively represented in something that was primarily a vehicle for conferences, and also the Nerve Garden project was going to be cultivated in biota.org originally. And my view now is that biota.org really is a, an artificial life hobbyist's means of, in some sense, communicating with the outside world, but also communicating internally amongst existing artificial life developers. So communicating this to the broader audience has a lot more colour images, a lot more kind of focused direction, a means of navigation which still is nowhere to be found on the biota site. It probably contains a lot of additional information about the podcast. The podcasts to date have been relatively minimalist. Recording and editing the audio associated with the podcast is quite time consuming and I do do a lot of other things other than biota.org and even mobile ape. So it all is a question of time for my own view. But I think the structure is slowly coming together in terms of what is needed to communicate artificial life to a broader community. Are we just preaching to the choir, though, in this regard? This is something which has caught me a lot recently. One needs to take all this productive energy that seems to be coming through the podcasts and correspondence and talking and actually showing out ideas and I think any kind of linking with the International Society of Artificial Life and Mark Bedeau will be an interesting interview in order to bring some of that together. What will this be useful for in the future? Well, as an artificial life developer, my interest really is just to continue developing artificial life. And I don't really think any of that's in danger. When I used to communicate actively with Doug Rushkoff, I would always say to him that my interest really is to get artificial life, or my own artificial life development, to a stage where I can continue to maintain it. I feel a great degree of responsibility as the editor of biota.org to convey that to all artificial life developers. But all artificial life developers, purely through developing artificial life, making a time commitment to a hobby which is quite time-consuming, both intellectually, physically, financially, in all means possible, and creating a community which is supportive to that. A component to that could actually be financially supportive, and this is something I've talked about with regards to bringing in companies that in the past have been very sympathetic to the Biota group, and in future should be very sympathetic because they are currently reaping the rewards of artificial life. So all these things are coming together. The direction that Biota.org could take in the near future could go anyway. What I like seeing is that existing artificial life developers, folks like the Grey Thumb Collective, which are really biota.org in a location, people actively bringing in thinkers and talkers and doers to communicate and collaborate. I mean, this is a physical biota.org community that I like to see, although Grey Thumb has evolved on its own quite naturally. It's something that I can't give enough time and enough praise to to actually get this group together. But it's things like Grey Thumb. It's external academics that are working on things that could link into artificial life that need community collaboration. It's 
people like Gerald de Jong who actively thank Biota.org as a group in terms of re-energising and reactivating his own thinking in particular areas in moving into podcasts and looking at ways of communicating. And this is a part of the resource that I want to give in Biota.org. Although Apriality is a bit of a <clears throat> fundamentalist artificial life podcast, the broader community aspects of Biota.org is something that I think is critical in terms of both communicating out and also giving advice to artificial life developers about means of communicating. I am no expert in this regard. I just know that there is a hungry audience and maybe it's already an existing sympathetic audience, but there is still a hungry audience for this kind of information. And if you can energise and excite that hungry audience, they then go on to do other things. It is a snowball effect that ends up in an avalanche. So really this is my interest with biota.org in the near future. Channeling positive energy, getting people actively thinking about artificial life and getting people talking and developing artificial life. And really, I don't think that's too bad a thing. I think it was moving in the right direction. It seems to be getting a lot of people involved and interested. And in terms of a kind of Cambrian explosion of interest in artificial life, I'm very, very positive about the direction which Biota.org is taking. And it really is a privilege to be connected with an organisation that got so many great thinkers involved initially. And I really do feel like a second generation artificial life developer trying to get the same folk, the same second generation that effectively continued their development in parallel to me to be part of the next communicative component of artificial life and ultimately communicating that back to the first generation too in some kind of symbiotic movement more than anything. So this is my thinking with regards to biota.org. If you have any questions on biota.org, ape reality, noble ape, who I am, how to get a copy of the manual, how to get a free t-shirt, please email me, tom at nobleape.com. I respond to all emails, no matter where they come from, who they're from, what is said. I'll respond to people that disagree with me, disagree with me very, very aggressively. It does take a lot of my energy, but I do correspond with people that disagree with me. So, if you disagree with me, if you agree with me, if you like the idea of biota.org, if you have some ideas that could change the direction of biota.org, tom at nobleape.com, because this is a personal view, a personal perspective, I put it out in the Ape Reality podcast rather than Biota.org interview stream. People may email me and say, please put it in the Biota.org interview stream. If that's the case, I'll do it. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Look forward to you listening to the next podcast. (laughs) 